Welcome to the Tippy Top Entrepreneur Experience. A big welcome to AMG from Practical CFO. Hello there. How are you doing, Alex? AMG. Now, AMG and I first met uh, before lockdown in Jan 2020, briefly. And um, since then, our virtual relationship has gone from strength to strength through thick and thin and about every startup experience you can possibly imagine. Now, AMG is a breath of fresh air in the startup community. Uh, she brings a wealth of finance experience from the corporate world, which she skillfully applies to the benefit of startups and entrepreneurs. Uh, this includes everything from fundraising to exits. AMG, please do tell us a bit more. Okay, so where to start? I, I probably start with the story of how I got into accountancy. I was on my degree and I did not understand a word that the accountancy lecturer said to us, not a thing. Thought this is really important, need to understand it. We had two work placements. So the first work placement was with a small accounting firm, actually in the accounts of a small firm that did art supplies. And it was fabulous. From the minute I sat down in the seat, I just got it. I got the understanding of the debits and credits. I got what the business was trying to do and I loved it. And, and I carried on since then. So I've been fortunate enough to work. I, I, I think it would be fair to describe it as eclectic, a bit my career. So I've been fortunate enough to work in, in retail, in energy, in telecommunications, at a high-end casino in Mayfair. And <laughs> yes, and now I work with a practice that looks after smaller companies, mainly startups, mainly tech, although there are a few of our clients are not, and um, some with making biomechanical advances, trying to change the world. So generally, I would say right now, my eclectic history is being reflected in my eclectic role, and I'm enjoying it. Absolutely. Clearly, that's, that's amazing. And uh, I was going to say, I think it's a, a, a rite of passage into accountancy if you understand debits and credits, right? That weeds yeah. most people out. Like, <laughs> yeah, why it's yeah. so difficult. But... <laughs> but, but so many people say it's about maths. And I say, no, it's about the business. The numbers are just a way of translating what's going on. But it's actually about what the business is doing, what the business is trying to do, how it translates its thinking into activities, into something else in the future what it means when a collection of people get together so it's not just it's never just numbers and anybody who thinks accountancy stops there are sort of missing the point of it as well as not not to mention the interaction with the legal world and with politics and business and society as things are changing that need to be aware of all of those things it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah very well said i couldn't have said it better myself now uh, we've we've come up with some brilliant topics for today, a jam-packed session. Uh, so those three main topics today are your investment strategy is as important as your business strategy. Looking forward to that. Number two, what it really means to run a company. It's not all about champagne and unicorns, turns out. And uh, number three, a, a word of caution, silly mistakes that may cost you your company. So without further ado, uh, your investment strategy is as important as your business strategy. Now, MG, you stress the importance of keeping your cap table clean, both in terms of employees and investors. Do go on. Yeah, so 
most people don't think about that when you're a founder and you start off you just want to get money in the business and you want to get going and that's completely understandable you'd have thought about what you want your business to do but you won't have thought about what you want your investment or investors to do <clears throat> so very often you get people they start off with a few people that they know then they go out to a number of angels then they maybe they go out to a few more and then they and they keep doing the cycle and their cap table gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and as soon as they've made the business to the point where maybe you can get a VC in, involved, they suddenly find themselves at a cap table that's unwieldy, that's messy, that nobody really knows what's going on. The VCs don't like it. They might like the business, but the work required to fix the cap table might be too much. There'll be odds and sods sitting on there. You know, when you were early in a founder and you thought you had your IT person and you were, you were getting going and then you have a massive falling out and they've walked away with 10% of your company and they're not giving it back no matter what, mainly to spite you, but secondly, because they're always hoping they're gonna make some money, but it, it just leaves the mess behind you. So when you're thinking about the, the business, try and think about your investment and what you want it to look like and who you want on there and why. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, it makes sense in the first instance to go out to friends that you have, but really, let's face it, most of us, our friends are not that sophisticated, they're not sophisticated investors. And if they're given, if they've got five grand to give you, it might be their life savings. And there's always a risk that the business goes wrong. So that may not be fair to bring them in just then. Maybe if you think it a bit down the later, maybe, but not then. Think about the people who can also bring you not as well as money, but can bring you ideas and thinking and different way to look at look at things maybe somebody's had some experience in your business and they've got some contacts think about what it looks like in terms of well you start off with these investors and maybe there's just three or four of them to start off with because it gives you a chance to prove your idea and then you get a few more involved and a few more so you never have too many because I know some people say we're going to crowdfund and crowdfund is brilliant but basically when you're crowdfunding you're potentially bringing on two, three hundred people, some of whom may have only put a fiver and a tenner in, but they feel that they have the same rights to tell you how to run your business as somebody who maybe put 50,000 in. And you've got to look after your investors. You can't look after, well, 100, 150 people or maybe even 30 to 40, not really well. So just think about it. And just having that idea in your mind might stop you early mm. on from just going to everybody and just again try to be a little bit strategic and that's really easy for me to say because i've seen the mess at the end mm. but just try to look at the beginning and think how do i keep this clean how do mm. i keep it to the smallest number i can but the best smallest number i can and mm. that, that's what i would say so I'm not saying don't obviously not saying don't get the money but i am saying just think about what it might look like and even just thinking about it will help you make a better decision because yeah. you're not just diving in. So that's that's what I would say. Mm. Yeah, give away your company carefully. Mm. Like, you know, you can have share options to staff and stuff like that. Think about what happens if it goes wrong. Because you may stay best friends forever. And that's absolutely brilliant. But if you don't, you, you've got to allow for an exit. And that's not being cynical. It's just accepting that sometimes even the best people in the world don't always get on. And when it comes to your business and what that might look like in the future, just to have that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And especially on the vesting schedules, have a cliff and then a vesting period. Don't start vesting yes. from day one because yeah. you're not sure it's an early relationship. Um, so much in there. Thanks for sharing that. The other um, thing I want to move on to now is raising venture capital. It takes startups into this 
you know, on this this hockey stick journey, but there's there's a, a negative bit in that hockey stick, the cash burn territory where you go yes. into negative profitability. Now that means you're reliant on follow-on capital from your existing investors. Now tell us a bit more about how that plays out and what advice you have for entrepreneurs who are embarking on this journey. Okay, so that's related to again planning your business, planning what the future may look like, and also understanding what the investment journey looks like. So when your early stage investors put in, your sophisticated investors will recognize that they will need to put in again at some point or somebody will need to. And the reason they've come in early is because as you grow the business, you grow its value. And as we all know, you know, the cheaper you get it now, the, you know, the better return you get. So when you're thinking about your business and how it grows in your own head, put times into it so you may start off with saying well actually i've got this really good idea i just want to see if i can build it and then once i've built it i want to see if the market likes it and then i want to see if if i need to change it in some way and each of those may be points in your journey at which you need to raise more cash for the next stage and if you start off having that in your mind having in your mind that you probably will be unprofitable, you probably will need somebody just to cover that period, then you'll be better in a better position to look at those positions when you need to have follow-on funding. It shouldn't come as a surprise. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't let it, it should never creep up on you because you should know, okay, proving, and this is where you, you, you mix the financial with the non-financial, proving your idea is an important point because if you once to prove it it works then you can prove you, know, you can get more people in to show well it's not i've got it working on a really small scale i want it to work bigger but we need to test the working bigger because i know things will be different and then you can get your funders in there for that and then it will be okay listen not we found it works okay in our local market but hey i want to get it out there internationally and you need somebody to step in with you at that stage so you need to be you need to keep in your mind, you need to always have in your mind what the future looks like. And that is a future, not just on the various stages when you need to raise more funds, but also on what does the exit look like? You can have situations where people keep saying, well, we need to keep raising money. And the question I'm asking is, well, why? What are you, what are you going to do with it? You only take money from people because you're going to do something with it. And what most people don't understand is every time you take money from somebody, they're not giving it to you for free. They want something back. You're giving away more of your company. So again, you need to be, you need to just, again, have that thought in your mind. And as you're planning your business, what that looks like yeah. and what it looks like for getting invested and when the cash will come in and how much and what's sensible. And you never fundraise for your minimum. You always want to fundraise for whatever the amount you need is plus maybe 10, 20, and if you can, 25%. Yeah. And again, when you step out there to get that cash back in through the door, you want to come back with people who's going to support you and be there for you. Absolutely. And I think we yeah. see two ends of the spectrum there. We see people saying, I'm going to raise you know, 500K and then we're going to become a unicorn. And there's those serial raisers who keep on raising and just dilute themselves to smithereens. But uh, yes. look, super yeah. wise words there. And I think key to planning all that is, of course, financial models, which you know a thing or two about. What does a good model look like? And when should you not pay an advisor for a model they've built for you? Okay, so at its core, your financial model should have three statements, really clear three statements. There's your profit and loss or income statement. 
there's your balance sheet, which is your statement of assets and liabilities. And then there's your cash flow, which is basically taking the cash line out of your balance sheet and giving you more details about it. These are all important because they're the basis of accountancy. They're the basis of all the metrics and KPIs and ratios that people use. They're all in those numbers. And if a model doesn't have that, then, well, you're not providing your investors with what they need. But not only that, you're not showing yourself to be sophisticated in your thinking because you don't know. If you don't know it needs that, you're not going to ask somebody to give you that. <clears throat> it needs to have those things. And it does, having a model does three things for you. I said originally two, but I think it's three. The first one is it presents your ideas in, an, in a format that a sophisticated or knowledgeable investor gets and understands. They don't need to dig deep. They don't need to ask you any questions. You know, you might even present with it a little summary sheet that just gives the highlight high level numbers. Secondly, it helps you to plan your thinking for your business. I was saying earlier about, well, when, what are your stages? When do you expect to run out of cash as you're doing? So you can tie that, you can actually see what it looks like in terms of the numbers. And then the third thing that it gives to you is that it should help you refine your thinking. And that sounds really strange because, well, I've got my business, I know what it does, but when you have your business in your head and then you put it on paper and you, you bring in the relationships that will come with raising or making that sale or making that product, it then looks differently and you end up asking questions that you never expected to ask. You never thought of it because it's not been presented in that way. So that's what a good model will do for you. And it isn't too detailed. Very often when I'm working with people in their models, it's like they're trying to recreate what the business might look like, mm -hmm. but you don't have to do that. You should be at least a step away from it. Because when you're running the business, there's lots of things that go on. You don't try to model that. Let's say you may eventually be able to sell to 10 different types of businesses, but actually in reality, there's only two different income streams. Your, I don't know, there's your professional and your non-professionals then you focus on those two income streams. You don't need to go too deep at the planning stage. It doesn't help you do anything. And it makes your model too, um, it makes your model too complicated. And it, it means that you don't understand what's going on. You're, you're going down to the weeds. You're not stepping back and looking at the whole picture, looking at the whole relationship. So that's what I say. The, the other part of your question is, when do you not pay an advisor for it? Mm. My first flag would be, ask them to give you an example, anonymized, of a plan they built for somebody else, of the summary reports from that. And if you cannot for yourself, even as a non-financial person, tell, tell the story of that company, then you don't want to use them because they're too complicated. You know, you should be able to look at it and see, oh yes, the company's growing here. And oh yeah, it does that by investing in these people. You should be able to do that. And if you can't do that from what they presented you, then it, it's not worth money. One of my pet peeves, don't, don't take a model that has macros in it. Macros is programming. I don't see why you have to program a three statement model. It's not, it, the, the, the person who made it might be being very clever, but you're the person who's going to be using it. So that's what I would say. So I would say it's those things. Ask for an example, make sure it doesn't have any macros. When you get it, see if you can understand your own story. And those are, that's when you should pay out the money and feel confident that you're getting something good. Excellent advice. Yeah, that's, well that's what I would say.
and 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 not only are you going to use it, you're going to you know, your investors are going to ask for the model. If it comes over with macros and some link breaks and everything, you're just you know scuppering your chance of being considered at the top of the pile. You might just you know never get get to see the light of day. No, and it doesn't need to be too, too complicated. Your investors aren't looking for complicated models. They want to understand where you think your business can go. So let's say traditionally you present them with five years. It doesn't mean in reality, this is what your five, the five years your business is going to do. What they want to understand is your business's journey. What makes it grow? What makes it tick? Where does it go? Does it stay international? How do people buy your product? Do you need to speak to them on the phone? Is it something they can just take off the internet? Does it need a massive amount of marketing spend to support it? Those are the things they want to understand. Um, that's always the thing we didn't speak about, isn't it? What, what need you're answering? Mm. What, is a, what, what are you trying to help people to do? What are you solving? And your business plan should show all of that. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the one other point I want to dwell on is you, you said it helps you understand and refine your thinking. You know, a lot of people say, I'm not going to build a financial model. It's wrong. It's a startup. You know, what's the point? And the point being, I always say to them, like in private equity, you also build financial models and you forecast five, 10 years in, in advance for stable businesses, not high growth tech businesses. And they're always wrong. And yes. usually, usually lower revenue and everything, the returns aren't as sexy. Sometimes it, it's better. But, um, and I say, so if they're getting it wrong, don't worry about whether you're getting it wrong or not. The whole point being that you going to understand the unit economics and what makes the business tick and where you make your margin and how, what levers of profitability you can pull to enhance that and uh, yes. so it's such a valuable exercise you need to embrace if you don't have the skills in-house embrace your cfo say you build it but talk me through it. i want to own it and the ceo must own the model even yes. though the cfo builds it and of course there's a lot of ownership but you it's your business it's a reflection of your business yes absolutely it's almost like business doesn't just happen and if you've never worked in a business or you've never been the lead of running the business, you don't recognize all the different things that feed into it. And your business model helps you do that, but it only gives you the numbers, which is why you've, when you say you've got to own it, you've got to think wider. You've got to think, what do all these things mean? And, and, you, and you never, like you said, it, as soon as you build it, it's wrong because the reality always changes. But how can you know if that reality is good or bad for you if you haven't given yourself an idea of what good might look like? It might be better than you expected because, you know, your marketing is actually really effective or it might be worse than you expected because your pricing doesn't work for that market or people aren't using it exactly the way you think they should. But if you don't have a baseline that you can measure against, how are you going to know? You're just out there. You, you, you could be the equivalent of running out there in a, in a cane circle, you know, with it's so high above your head and you don't know where you're going. You're just running around in circles around in, inside it. But because you haven't laid out a path for you, you're not going to know what you're supposed to come back to do, where you're supposed mm. to be going. That's the importance of your business model. And that's, what, that's why people use them. Mm. And that's why people uh, ask for them. Mm. I, I hope the listeners are, are as passionate as we clearly are about this topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, going to a question bank two on, a, on a, another DAO topic. I'm not sure if the first one was DAO, wasn't for me, but talking about running a business, and, and you said, be ready for the bank to kill you. I wrote that down last <laughs> week. Now, uh, it sounds like a nightmare. What do you mean by that? 
Oh, it's the banks to the bane of my life. They, they're admin and their questions and their inflexibility and the fact that they don't train their staff well. And okay, I know it's because it's around money and I know they've got to be regulated and they've got to do this, but they are the most painful thing in the world to deal with over and over and over again. And I, <laughs> it's, the one part, it's the one part of my job that I do not enjoy working okay. with the banks. You know, the, the, the big banks, well, they don't really, you know, they, 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 they play a good game. You see, they have really good um, adverts and there's all those people they're scurrying in and there's always a really wonderful person to look after you when you step through the door on the advert. The reality, the reality is your, your regional manager has got a thousand people and doesn't know you from Jack Adam. Your nearest branch is full of people who they don't train properly. Uh, 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 banks just, banks. <laughs> All I would say <laughs> when it comes to that, <laughs> there's not much we can do. You can use the challenger banks, and don't get me wrong, they make it easier to start a bank account. Mm. But as soon as you want anything a bit more, you're going to get my advance. I suppose all I'm saying is be prepared and <laughs> be prepared and try and find your Zen place before you start dealing with your banks because without it, you will end up pulling your hair out. And then they can't do this and they can't do that. And you call out somebody. And then they tell you, well, have you done that? And I said, well, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be calling you. Oh, well, you need to do that. Can you help me with the next step? I would done now. I need to ask my manager. It's just, oh, oh it's painful. So, <laughs> so. I love that. Oh, great. Okay. Now, an, another one on that, on that note. Companies, house, boards, taxes. What's it really like running the rest of the business? There is a lot of admin. And... You need to be prepared for it and you need to acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses in relationship to it. If you ignore your admin, you can turn around one day and the tax man's knocking on your door for his VAT money. I have had that experience. He was big and burly. So that's all I can say. <laughs> fortunately, so fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, um, we had paid our taxes and they hadn't been getting the information right at their end. But I, I was so shocked. I really shots when this bloke turned up looking for the money <laughs> so it can and does happen um there is a lot of admin be prepared try and be organized know yeah. what your strengths are if you know admin is not your strength then when you're looking for your next hire make sure that person's got the skill and don't ignore it it may seem like oh, i can come back to that later but it so often trips you up if there are any startup tips i would have for a founder when you first set up the email for your company, you always have one in your name inevitably. Actually, start one up that's called info at or accounts at or something like that. And the reason why, as you grow and more people come in, more specialists comes, comes into your business with their skills, they'll be able to go to that one email and find what they need from all those accounts you started way back in the day. Um, all those invoices that came in were full list, but all those passwords or change of passwords and that's it. And also use something like LastPass. And I think we should do the legal thing where similar software does exist, but something which holds, <laughs> they do, don't they? Those adverts, you see them. All those, all those things that can hold it in one central yeah. place. Try to do that, especially in an electronic world where it's mm. easy to lose things. If you can always have it in one place, that will save you. Because, you know, you'll, you'll register at company's house, you'll register your VAT, 
you'll do your startup things and then you'll run off and start running your business in terms of you know building it or, or speaking to your designers or your developers or whatever and then a year's later you suddenly need to do your file in that company's house because his email has popped up and you don't know where it's if it's on the same email you'll find it she says with 97 percent surety yeah. <laughs> and i'm sure that would solve a lot of your problems and if it all will solve a lot of problems that, right yours though because yeah. <laughs> you yeah. usually inherit the mess <laughs> exactly exactly normally yeah normally we have to, to to go and find that for people and i would also say is you are going to have sleep sleepless nights of your businesses it is true it will consume you try to be aware of that and every now and again try and set some time aside for yourself and for your family because you'll be amazed how sometimes even when you're under so much of that pressure the fact that you took a day out and did something that was nothing to do with your business and you really enjoyed it and you spent some time laughing and joking or whatever it is with other people means you just come back in refreshed and we, we we've seen those things about mental health and stress and and all those other things that pile on and they will pile on be ready for them carve out a little bit of space for yourself they often say founders don't go on holiday and it's absolutely true you yeah. don't but even if you do manage to get away for a little while switch off your phone even if you're just there for an hour in the morning an hour in the evening have that time in between it's hard not to bring your laptop with you and hey let's face it we all watch something on tv or on our laptops and we go away but mm. just try to be aware of that but it it is a lot it will be a lot of strain for you try to keep the journey and also know who you are in terms of know what your strengths there are some founders i see them trying to do everything do you know what you're not good at that just admit it you're not good at it it's okay it doesn't mean you're not good at running your business it just means that that is not your forte you know as an accountant you can drop anything on my lap that's numbers made or um, about the account systems or excel or even legal stuff i'm really good on that ask me to do a PowerPoint from scratch. I'll struggle. <laughs> and I very often get around that by putting the new information and handing it over to the person who can make it look better than I do and make it flow a bit better than I do. That's not to say my ideas aren't good. I've just acknowledged that's not my strength. Mm. Give that to people, you know, and especially nowadays where there are so many startups who themselves are trying to ease somebody else's pain, you know, have a good relationship with a few of those. So, you know, have your HR, for example, who you can go to because HR law can trip you up without you even realising it. Um, yes, have your financial support. Have um, very, very, very cautiously, have some sort of legal support. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll take back on the legal support because they they're always quite expensive. But I'm just trying to say, know what your strengths are, know when you need to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and also you mentioned that in terms of your hiring strategy, that you just need that oversight. You can have, you can't be everything. There's probably no. at least a hundred different wheels that need to be spun up and you just need to be able to be the conductor as opposed to the wheel spinner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the weakest founders that I've come across are the ones who try to do everything. Surprisingly yeah. enough, people think that's a sign of strength, but it's not. Mm. A sign of strength as a founder is to have a good vision, but to acknowledge that sometimes as a person who has the vision, you, you don't have the other skills that go with it. Some of my best founders are brilliant. Their ideas are fantastic. You, mm. you know, they can sell it to investors. They can sell the dream, but they're bloody awful when it comes to perhaps looking after their team well, because 
they don't understand those niceties. They don't understand why everybody's not just tearing up the world to turn, you know, to, 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 to produce their idea. And that's when you want to say, well, actually, I know that someone else can do that better than me. Yeah. I can be the inspiration. I can give you the dream. I can sit down and yeah. spend time with you. And as I say, my best founders, from that point of view, they're really lovely people, but there's just some things they don't do so well. And you need to acknowledge it in yourself. What am I not good at? And let it go. Mm. Give it to people who can help you to be your best as well. You know, absolutely wise words. I, I, uh, I was reminiscing about a boss. We were staring failure in the face and uh, I don't think there was any way to avert it. And he sent this very pain, a passionate email. And, and at the end it said, I hope I can count on you to set this world alight. We were like, yeah, it's going to go down in flames. <laughs> but very passionate. It's like, I wish you hadn't sabotaged us for the past 12 months. But anyway. Uh, this is it this is it that's the thing and i think sometimes as a fan you don't realize you're doing that you think you're helping mm. but actually you're just getting you're just getting in the way and it's a skill it's a skill as you get it's i suppose it's a mixture of things i say it's a skill it's also about being willing and able to let go because i understand mm. this is your dream and most people find that really difficult to do so we've all said that our worst founders are the ones who keep getting involved in everything trust trust the people that you work with um you brought them in for a reason it, 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 I, I don't know i wonder if i'm being unfair because it seems like it's, it's so many skills you you're asking to have as a founder at the same time you don't have so many of those skills <laughs> no I, I think it, you know i think that's the reality and, and you have to be that that jack of all trades However, you don't do those things particularly well. And I think it's a recurring yeah. theme on the on the show. People say, let go, let go, let go. And yeah. it's not a logical thing. It's a very emotional thing. And it, if you, you know, it's not a skills thing is what I'm saying. It, it's it's like, it's my baby. And I, you know, I'm, I'm okay not being a micromanager now. I'm going to hire better and brighter people than me. And then, you know, do what I'm good at. Outsource myself and just... Be that figurehead, be that cheerleader, be that oversight. But yeah, it is a tricky balance, but still letting go is the first bit to achieving that balance, I think. It's doable. It's doable. And I suppose even in those situations, it, maybe it's worth having a mentor as a founder. Yes, I mean, we, yeah. we talked about your investors coming in. If yeah. you have a good relationship, perhaps with one of the angels or one of the VCs that you brought in, yeah. they can either be that for you or um, provide you where you can go to find that. Because it is, it is a skill as well, isn't it? It is, it is a skill leading a business and leading a business well. Not everybody's born with it, but it can be developed. Yeah, and, and, and often people say, well, I do, you know, the, I do the financials or whatever they do in the business. And you're like, no, you're the CEO. And they're like, okay, well, if I get someone to do that, what is, what is my job? And you're like, CEO. And they're like, well, what's that? <laughs> a bit scared. And you're like, nah, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Because you manage so many of the relationships. You're out there talking to people internally and outside and external to your business. You, 
you're keeping your internal team, their vision, their culture, the kind of people you want and need them to be to, to move mm. the business forward. At the same time, you're the protector. You're the one who's out the front when other people are trying to pile on in and maybe find fault with you. You, you hold that line. But you're also the person who then goes out to there to investors or you meet key customers and you meet key suppliers. So... Mm. I, you know, I've had, I've, I once heard somebody describe the CEO, CEO as a chief emotional officer because you're managing so many emotions inside and outside the business. But that's what you do. You provide the vision and you provide the future and you, you can see what the future looks like and you help, you're drawing everybody to help you to get there. Yeah, no, amazing. Okay, great. I think we, we, we must move on. So let, let's yeah. go to question bank three. So silly mistakes that may cost you your business. So let's talk about hiring strategies. Now, um, <laughs> you've got a really good analogy on this one. Uh, can you share? Yeah, I, I, I have found that after going through the people spec and going through the dis discussion that people have about their new hire, that the only person who will do everything that they want is Jesus in a skirt. Now, <laughs> I say that because Jesus in a skirt, that, that ticks all the diversity um leavers first of all yeah. uh, we know that you know jesus had this wonderful way of doing things he could he could touch things and change things but it is almost like they want god on earth they don't they don't just want good people and i find it so frustrating you know they'll go for a cv and oh well they don't have that and they don't have that well think about it if the person who has all the skills you want came to you what else are you offering them mm. nothing so why would they come but if you have somebody who has three quarters of the skills um, or, or, or what you need comes to the base and what you're basically saying to them is you've got enough, but hey, we're going somewhere wonderful and you can come with us and you can learn with us and you can gain these skills and it can be fun. So that person says, actually, there's a reason for me going over there, but there's no point me going over there if I'm just going to be doing what I'm doing over here. And let's face it, most of us can't offer a 20,000 premium just to, to poach. That's poach, it, to poach, poach. Yeah, poaching someone. We don't have that. So... Yes, have your job spec, but when you when you go out there, also I find that people don't think laterally as well. They think they think in the same way. There's never okay. So one of my best experiences when I was hiring somebody, I met somebody who hadn't done particularly brilliant at school, but <clears throat> I don't know if it was via a workplace model, whatever it is. She came out of school and she found accountancy, and she got it. So I could see in someone who'd taken a completely different path to me, I could see how much they loved and understood it. I'd have taken her in a heartbeat because that person would, would wanted to learn. All that schooling had ever given her was probably, this is boring and I hate it. For the first time, she found something she wanted to learn. So from that wanting to learn the accountant, she's going to want to learn everything. She's going to want to understand in the yeah. business. That's someone you can really work with because you're getting somebody who's got those core skills and that core passion. And then they can expand with that. But instead, you're going to go and look at someone who didn't have the great schooling over there. Oh, but that person, they got the A-levels and the O-levels. And basically, they might be just a bit boring. And they might not have the same passion. Well, they, they, they may do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they may do. Or they may, and they may not have the same passion. I mean, I know not every job and every role requires the passionate person. And I suppose this, this is coming from me, who's worked in smaller businesses, where I know that that passion is part of the fun of working in small business, getting things done, that, that emotional tie-in. So I just wish when people were hiring, they'd stop looking for God on earth and just yeah. look for good people. Yeah. You know, because will, as much as who will do the job, yeah, and, 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 and may even exceed your expectations. 
and and will be loyal and you know that we say yeah hire for attitude train for skill it's not that difficult running a business it's really it's yeah you want someone who's you know passionate nice to work with keen to learn and goes the extra mile you know and, yeah yeah modicum of intelligence right yeah 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 <laughs> and then and then if they do leave if they for me and i've heard people say i don't want to get someone in training up because they leave well for me i look at it and say well i had that person they came and worked with me we worked so brilliantly together i gave them so much of myself they developed who they are and looked at you know literally i'm feeling that's my baby do you know what yeah. I mean? when you go back into the world, that's my baby <laughs> so <laughs> there's nothing wrong with feeling that as well and because we all change and grow and we all need something when you started in the founder there were some things you started with which, which you weren't able to do and you've got really really good at them yeah. again i'm not saying you don't want to employ people who don't have any skills but just try and walk a bit more of a realistic ground that's that's, that's what i'm saying <laughs> there we go and sticking on that theme uh, you talk about diverse teams and, and your take on this is again fabulous so do tell <laughs> Well, as I said to you before, you can have a team of people who have got different ethnicities, so um, African, Asian, European, but they all went to Eton, they all talk the same, they all think the same, they all like the same champagne, that's not a diverse group, because their thinking is the same. It's not enough with diversity to say, I'm going to get somebody who looks like this and you've ticked a box. That is not diversity, that is just box ticking. If you want diversity, there's two things you need. You, well, what you should be looking at is diversity of thinking. And that's what often comes through with, with ethnic diversity or sexuality diversity, because you, you've got people who are used to looking at the word, world through a different prism. So they bring different ideas and thinking. And that's what makes a fun business, a group discussion really good, because you'll know that there's one of your thinkers who comes through and is really meticulous and they'll always pick up the law thing. So that's okay. You don't need to worry about that. That person will be able to bring that and learn from you. But then you have someone in the world who say, but did you think of this? Because they're used to seeing the world that way or through that prism and they can bring it to the table as well. And if, you, if you're truly, truly interested in diversity, you bring in people who are different, but who have the same goals as you so that you can bring all the ideas go in there and go forward and there is no point in bringing on somebody's diverse if you're not going to listen to them you might don't don't bother at least be honest about that if you're not really willing to to learn at least be honest about it but if you are willing to learn if you are if you really want to make a difference look out there i remember going at a segue years and years ago one of my best work experiences where we um we brought in a group of young people who had fallen out of the school system mm. and they were now working with a charity and the charity wanted to help them get into the workplace. And they felt that one of the best ways to do this was to work with businesses. And we had an open day for them. Absolutely fabulous. We planned all these sessions. And part of doing that was um, we talked about how we would dress, the importance of it. And I pointed out that it was important that we had a casual business address that because very often when I look, for example, at my parents, they didn't work in offices. My mum was a nurse and my dad's an electrician. So they never had that office look. But just showing what that office look could look like if it's not um, being imposing on you, not feeling threatening on you. But to give them that. So, yeah, this, this is a look. There was one session we did and um, we had sessions of half an hour. And we were speaking to the young people about what their careers could look like, what they could go into the future, what their dreams were. I don't think anybody ever asked them what their dreams were. 
Yeah, I know there was a young woman sitting in the corner and you can imagine the type, um, very sophisticated, but quiet, a bit aloof, didn't want to get involved. Wasn't This was a bit beneath her. But when we started talking about dreams, for me, the best moment of that entire day is when she said, do you know what? I'd like to be a journalist. She hadn't engaged all day. Now, if you are trying to bring it back to diversity, if you're not prepared to look, you won't get a different mindset. This is a young woman who wanted to be a journalist who had, for whatever reason, fallen out of the conventional school way, the school, you know, the, 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 the school path of making your way in the world. She found a different, she wasn't on that path. And yet when you talk to her about her dreams, she could be. And, and, and I just think just need to bring those things on board. That's a heartwarming, <laughs> incredible story. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Best day at work that was for me. Very yeah. cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> I love that. Now, um, we're going to go back to a, a dry topic of cash management, but something we're very passionate about, so that's okay. Um, now, your advice here is to be pound-wise and not penny-wise. Uh, can yeah. you explain what you mean and what you've seen as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose the, and the song that's just going through my head at the moment is Money's Too Tight to mention. Money will get tight, but it's got to work for you. There is no point saving money if what you are spending on isn't working for you. It's not going to move you forward. All you're doing is holding on to the money in the bank and that's going to dribble out on you mm -hmm. and you're not going to get anything for it. So... It's all very well saying they're expensive, I'm not gonna use them. But if they could actually move you forward, then what are you losing? Whereas you could save your money and try to do it yourself. Well, we've talked about the, the weaknesses of that already. Or you could save the money and get someone in who's really cheap. Well, when you go out there and do a bit of a, a you know benchmarking, why are they so cheap? There's, there's a reason for that. Good stuff, you pay for. It doesn't need to be madly expensive, but it, you will pay for it but it will be worth it. I've, I've, I had an experience with one founder who kept changing every single one of their suppliers because they could always find somebody that was cheaper, but they were kind of missing the point. That wasn't, they were not gonna save their business by saving money. They needed to grow their business, which needed, they needed to invest. They needed to get something that they could get a return out of it to go forward. And that's just something to remember. If you keep that seed, you know, stuck in the corner, it's not going to grow. You do need to put it in some earth. You do need to spend. Yeah. Same time, be sensible with your money, but don't be too cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, being is. a tight one never, like never helped anybody. <laughs> so the, 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 that's, yeah, that's the, I think the worst example I could see some, but, and then the other side of it is don't be profligate. You know, just because the investors have given you a decent wad, it will run out. You know, it, it will, it, it, it's, it's for a purpose. So look after it and be wise with it. That's what I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. There's a phenomenon I've seen before where you've got a, you know, most businesses go through a, a sawtooth cash model. They raise investment and they spend it and it slowly trickles down. And what they do is they raise investment, they start spending on marketing, start getting growth, and then it doesn't come as quickly because, you know, marketing takes about three months to spool up before you start seeing results. Then they say, oh, the cash is running thin, and then they stop spending on marketing. Where the cash just dribbles down, runs out, then they go cap in hand to the investors. 
no, we need more money. What's the growth like? Well, not good, but we had to stop spending on marketing because cash was running out. And they literally keep on doing this. Yeah. Like, You're never yeah. going to grow. You have to stand for something. You have to put a stake in the ground and drive towards X customers. And as you said earlier, quite rightly, hit that value inflection point of yes. 100, 1,000 customers. And then you can go back to the investors then and raise a bigger check and then rinse and repeat. Exactly. You, you, you've got to give investors something to work with at the end of the day. You know, yes, they want to be sensible with their money. They need to get their returns as well. But you've got to give them something to work with. And it's like you were saying, if, you, if, you, if you've got the money, you just keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. You're not going to get there. You're just yeah. not going to get there. Not, not, not in this journey. In a more conventional <laughs> business, maybe, maybe you will. You know, you just ride out the the the, the hard times. Um, but when you're a conventional business, you have much more avenues open to. Well, I say that technically, you have more avenues open to you to support your business. But when you're a startup, it is a different mindset, and you you've got to be ready for that. Mm. You've got to be able to go forward with that. So yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Great. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it to a close with a, a rather chunky summary. So there goes. <laughs> okay. So back to question one. Your investment strategy is as important as your business strategy. Now, AMG said, keep your cap table clean, both in terms of employees and your investors. Target that ideal cap table and work backwards, not the other way around. In terms of follow-on yep. funding, it's a reality. Expect it. Plan for it. Um, and also try and link it to the value inflection points in your business as opposed to just needing fun funding like halfway across the river. Fundraise, <laughs> uh, raise 25% more than you think you need and you probably need more than you think. So consider that. Um, a good financial model and help me out, out AMG, um, it helps yeah. you plan, refine your thinking. And there was a third one. It doesn't, it shouldn't go too much into the weeds. There we go. Love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, keep it very simple. It's all about telling the story of your business um, and don't put in macros, for God's sake. Right yeah, now. no, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, importantly as well, own your financial model. As the CEO, own it. It's your business. It's a reflection of that. Don't just put it in the, in the bottom drawer and run your business uh, like a cowboy. Now, in terms of what it really means to run a company, be prepared for banks and find your Zen place, AMG said, before you start, because it's going to be a trying period. Um, and remember, there is lots of admin involved. So understand your strengths and weaknesses. And if admin is not one, find someone who loves it, who loves being organized, um, and they'll be in your element and leave you be. And then yes. um, your basic operational things like setting an accounts at email address, uh, a password manager, make it easy. Think about the future growth. It's not just going to be you know, AMG at Gmail forever. Plan for the future. Now, in terms of uh, actually running your business, you will have sleepless nights. Um, so I think make sure you take time out. Uh, there's lots of talk about mental health, but people are very good at giving advice and not taking it themselves, especially entrepreneurs. And they only often reflect at the end of their hard journey. Don't do that. Take time out during the journey. You'll be more invigorated and keep the passion. And after all, you're doing it for love of startups and to do something really cool. Don't burn yourself out. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. And then um, hire for your weaknesses as well. Don't do stuff that saps your energy. I heard something the other day. They said, you know, it's not that you, um, you know, running out of time or whatever. You're just not 
you know, you're tired because you are, you're tapping your energy, do things that bring you energy and stop doing the energy drains. And then yes. it's not a time issue. It's an energy management issue. So if you hire for those weaknesses, you'll probably retain more energy yourself. Um, and on that as well, trusted suppliers as well. Um, and of course, let go. Once you get good people, trust them, let them run with it. And that's often an emotional decision. I yes, absolutely. Get a mentor. Um, and usually that should be an ex-entrepreneur as opposed to anyone else. And then, of course, number three, silly mistakes that will cost you your business. Uh, when hiring, stop trying to hire for Jesus in a skirt. Hire for <laughs> attitude and passion. And then yes. uh, number two, and he said, diversity is not about ethnic origin. It's about diversity of thinking. And they could be from various different backgrounds. And also when you hire that person, make sure you listen to them for God's sake. And number three, don't be too cheap. There you go. Uh, invest in your business, but respect the cash. So anyway, anything else you'd like to add to that, Angie? Try and enjoy the journey. It can oh, be fun. <laughs> Beautiful. Excellent podcast. Excellent session. Um, such wise words. And uh, what, what, a, what a way to end it. So thanks again for sharing this journey with me. Uh, and where can we find you online if we want to hear more about you and Practical CFO Services? Yep. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm known by my initials, which are AMG, but that's short for Angela Marie Graham. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find um, Practical CFO on LinkedIn as Practical CFO. And we have a website. So look forward to hearing from you if you want some, you know, some more help. Here we go. Highly recommend that. Great. Well, thanks again. And we'll speak soon. OK, thank you, Alex. Take care. That's all for this episode. Keep tuning in for more exclusive insights from seasoned investors, accomplished entrepreneurs, and professional service advisors. Follow the Tippy Top blog on all major social media platforms, including Twitter, TikTok, Insta, Facebook, or now Meta, LinkedIn. And of course, you can find me, Alexander Lee, on LinkedIn. And you can also check out my website, thetippytop.com. Until next time, keep pushing, and I'll see you at the Tippy Top.